There are many ways to serve in the body of Christ. I was noticing something this week while I was thinking about serving in the body of Christ that I should have pointed out last Sunday because it would have been especially fitting last in last week's message. We talked about three elements in our place in the body of Christ, our gifts, who God's made us to be, our works, our service, what God has given us to do, and the results, what God does with what we do. And it occurred to me this week that I should have made a bigger deal of that last one. Do you know that if you serve in the body of Christ, God does something with what you do? I mean, just think about that for a second. God does something with what you do that is more than what you did. He doesn't just take what you do. He produces something from it. So if I stand up here and preach, God is working, taking what I do, which may or may not amount to much in and of itself, and doing something with it some producing some result from it. Now, if we use the example of preaching, you know, okay, that maybe that's too obvious. But what if we use the example of someone who came in sometime during the week this week and straightened up all the chairs and swept and mopped the floor and cleaned the restrooms and served for a few hours to simply prepare the place in a way that we normally don't even notice because it's just bringing it up to the standard we expect. That person serving in the body of Christ God is taking what they have done and God is doing something with it. So that in eternity, that person will receive the blessing of their work of faith operated to produce some fruit By God Almighty Himself, He does something that's bigger than what they did with what they did. I just hope that in that idea you can see the privilege that it is to take on some role of service in the body of Christ for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. It won't be only about whatever you do. 
In eternity, it will be about what God has produced from what you've done. That is way, way, way bigger than you think. If you are simply faithful, to do some work of service for the purpose of the building up of the body of Christ. It's really an opportunity you don't want to miss. Now, last time we noticed that those three elements are three elements in any one person's place in the body. God has made them to be who they are in various ways. He's given them spiritual gifts. He's given them natural talents. He's given them, he's built those gifts and talents up into skills. He's given them a certain type of personality. He's given them a certain character and a certain way of being and relating to other people and placed them in the body where he wants them to be. All those things are given. That's who God has made you to be. And then the second element is what God has given you to do. Something. According to Scripture, there's not any believer that does not have something to do in contributing to the building up of the body of Christ. The text says, what every joint supplies, every part doing its part. So there isn't a part that doesn't have a part, of course. Hmm. So whatever God has given you to do. And then the third element of your part is that miraculous thing that happens when we do what God has given us to do, and that is whatever God does with that. Now, of those three things, there's only one that you really must know what it is. You don't really need to know what your gifts are in order to employ your gifts. Do you know that in the Scripture, there's no commandment anywhere in the whole Bible that tells you, find out what your gifts are? <laughs> there, is, there are commandments that say, whatever your gifts are, use them in service in the body of Christ. There's plenty of those. And if you know what your gift is, well, use that. But there's no commandment that says you need to know. In fact, I think the Scripture indicates there's really only one reliable way to find out what your gifts are. You know what it is? Do something. <laughs> you know, what, if, you, if you have a certain set of gifts, and you do, you have natural gifts, you have spiritual gifts. If you're a believer, you have spiritual gifts. You have character, personality, skills, all that. You are who you are. God made you that way. Guess how we find out what you're like, what your spiritual makeup is, what your spiritual gifts are even. 
if you serve, they show. That's how. If you don't serve, we may never know. We might guess. Did you ever take one of those surveys that was designed to tell you what your spiritual gifts are? You know what those surveys really tell you? What spiritual gift you want, not what spiritual gift you have. And of course, God gives the gifts according to God's own will, not yours. So they are what they are, and the way you find out, the only way anyone ever found out if I have a gift of teaching, which I'm presumptively saying now, the only way anyone knows that is if I get up and try to teach and somebody learns something. Then you find out. How do we know Aaron and Angelo have musical gifts? Well, one day they bumped into a piano and played it, and we found out. That's how. That's how you find out what your gifts are. It's not some deep mystical thing. It's just, you know, the way things operate. Well, anyway, the thing you really need to know, though, oh, and by the way, one, thing, one of these three things you don't know and you can't know, which is what has God done with what you did? I assume when I'm standing here preaching, God is working in you in ways I can't see. Most of which I will never know unless one day in heaven we end up talking about it. Same, same, same with any work of service in the body of Christ. any work. We don't know what God does with it. He lets us in on some of it just to, I think, maybe keep us motivated. Well, so the one thing you really need to know is what does God have in mind for you to do? Because you can't do something if you don't think of doing it. You've got to know that. So last time, we left with this question. Well, how do you know that? How do you know that? The text we were looking at, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, says this in verse 5, there are many ways to serve, but one Lord. The one Lord is Jesus, given as head over the body, right? He's the Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. So there's one Lord. There's many gifts, one Spirit. So we know the gifts are of the Spirit. There's many ways to serve, one Lord. There's many results, one God and Father who works all of those things in every one. Okay, so one Lord. Lords tell you what to do. So there's many ways to serve. How do you know what to do? The Lord tells you. Well, how does the Lord tell you? That's what we want to look at today. How? One person directs the building up of the body of Christ through the service of all its parts. Jesus said, I will build my church. How does he do it? When every part does its part, that works for the building up of the body in love. Hmm. 
So how does he communicate his direction? It's on him. He's the Lord. I'm not. How will he communicate his direction to you? Oh, and what if he does? What if he does? Do you know that what we've studied so far already tells us that every last one of us has a place of service in the body of Christ? Hmm. Do you know what it is? Because if you're going to do it, you need to know what it is. And the person who will direct you in this is the Lord himself. How? Is it possible he's communicating to you what your part in the body is and you haven't gotten it yet? Hmm. How do you find out what God has for you to do in the building up of the church? You cannot argue from the scripture that you have none of that there isn't anything. Every part has a part. Now we've talked about this a lot and we've noticed that lots there are there are little things and big things. There are casual parts and long-term commitment parts. There are lots of ways to serve. So, how does the lordship of Christ get exercised in the church? What is the flow of authority in the church? I've given you an outline in your bulletin. All authority comes from the Father, God. All authority. We, you could look this up in John 8.28 where Jesus says, Jesus, the Son of God who is our Lord, says, I don't do anything on my own authority. I only follow what the Father gives me to do. All authority. Now, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, the other reference here I have in your bulletin, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. And on that basis, he tells us, his disciples, to go and make disciples of all the nations. All authority has been given. Oh, has been given. So the Son's authority comes from where? From the Father. All authorities begins with the Father and flows there then to the Son. In John chapter 1, the first three verses of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And we find out that the Son of God, the eternal Word, the eternal Word is the Creator. Well, is He the Creator? Yes, because He's the agent of the Father's creative will. He's the Word. The Father's authority flows to the Son. The Son exercises authority in the church. At the end of the Ephesians chapter 1, we read that God is bringing all things under the Lordship of Christ, who He has given to the church as the head of the body of Christ, which is the fullness of God in Him. Wow. Of course, 
then this flows also through the Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14, we read that all those who are led by the Spirit are God's children. So the exercise of authority in the church is also in the Spirit. I've given you three references in the book of Acts where the Spirit of God speaks directly to the church to say, do this or that, or directly to an individual to say, do this or do that. The text says, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit said to uh, the church in Antioch, set aside Paul and Barnabas for this special ministry. Now, that makes me wonder, man, what was that like, the Spirit of God said? Hmm. Well, so the direction of the body of Christ operates in the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. And of course, who did they say it? Who did he speak to? The apostles, whom I'm calling in your outline here the commissioners of the church. The, the, the individuals who were personally commissioned by Jesus Christ. Those are the apostles. Now, we can use the word apostle for certain other people. I mean, it, in the New Testament language, it might be just the common word for a missionary, for someone sent. It literally means a sent one. But there is a special class of apostle who are the apostles who have special authority in the church that has always been recognized by the church. How did we choose this, the books of the New Testament that are, have authority, the, the, the authority of the Word of God? Well, the primary basis is they are apostolic. They were written or in one way commissioned by the apostles themselves. Paul says to the Corinthians, because I'm an apostle, I could just order you to do this, that, or the other. But I'm not doing that. I'm just, I'm asking you. The apostles had authority in the church. They had the very authority of Christ. They could say legitimately, in the name of Christ, I command this. And so the authority flows to the apostles. By the way, the whole book of 2 Corinthians is basically a defense of the authority of the Apostle Paul as an apostle. The apostles were commissioned by Christ. The apostles are also the authors of Scripture. And so the, the authority flows from God the Father to God the Son, through God the Spirit, to the apostles, the, those men personally commissioned by Christ, and then through the Word of God, the apostles minister to us today. The written Word of God is the Word of God. And therefore, authoritative. 
if the Word commands you to do something, you are in fact commanded. And God Almighty Himself commands you. Well, that is a commandment you ought not to ignore. The Scripture has authority. The Scripture is inspired by the Spirit, and so God the Spirit works through the apostles. If you look at 2 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to just read it because it sort of explains this. Second Peter, verse 16. For we did not follow carefully devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Who is we in that sentence? The apostles. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Now, who's we? Peter and John. They were the only ones there on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy of Scripture was made up by the writer. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God Almighty, the third person of the triune God, moved the writers of Scripture to write exactly what they wrote. So that the apostles, the exercise of the authority in the operation of the church is from the Spirit through the apostle to the written Scripture. So the Scripture has authority. And we rely on it as the Word of God. Second Timothy, Paul writes, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. So, from there then, it comes down to elders who are often called overseers and shepherds. In 1 Peter chapter 5, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God around you, exercising oversight, 
not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How is the authority of Christ exercised in the church by the ministry of the church's elders? God formed the church by forming churches. You can read this in the book of Acts, where at various stages, some apostle names and appoints elders to serve in a local body of Christians, a church. So God forms the churches by the appointment of elders who oversee the ministry together, the life together, the community together of the body. And they have a, a shepherding responsibility. I've given you a number of references for that. So I want to tell you, our best way to serve to build up the church is to serve to build up a church. Our best opportunity to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we are called, eager to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, like we read at the, be at the beginning of Ephesians 4. Our best way to do that is in a church where we know one another and we serve together and there's a, a panel, more than one, elder that we follow in our service together. To, to build up a church means to place ourselves under the care and leadership of a specific group of elders. And this is the biblical administration of the body of Christ that you can read about in the book of Acts and really in all the New Testament in the what we call the pastoral epistles, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus. Where these men, Timothy and Titus, who are not apostles, are called upon to appoint elders on behalf of the apostle. So, that's the flow. <laughs> From the Father, through the Son, through the Spirit, through the apostles, into the Scriptures, administered by the elders of a local church. So now, if I were to ask you the question, how do you know what the Lord has in mind for you to do in serving for the building up of the body of Christ? How would you answer that question? Here's what elders do. I'm going to try to go through this list really quickly. <laughs> Things elders are given to do. We just read the main word, the main word in 1 Peter chapter 5, which is shepherd. Shepherd the flock. That is the overall word. Do you know 
in in the English language, do you know what the word pastor means? It's just a word for shepherd. In fact, the word, if you read in your English Bible the word pastor in the New Testament, guess what Greek word it's translating? The Greek word shepherd. In fact, it really should just say shepherd, I think, but, you know, we're all used to pastor. So how many pastors are there in this church? I think there's five. Because the Scripture says elders shepherd the flock. And the Scripture always envisions elders as more than one person in a given local church. Always. Now, we call one of us to be like the pastor-pastor, I guess. I don't know. But the authority is not in me. It's not in any one individual other than Jesus. The authority is in the elders, the group. This is why in this church, that group doesn't do anything that we don't all agree about. Because we think if any one of us thinks this is a bad idea, then it's not a good idea yet. Because there has been placed in the body of Christ, in the communion of the elders, in the group, a certain wisdom contained in each person. And we bring that together in order to exercise authority in the church. Shepherding. Well, I've got a list here of things the Scripture gives specifically to elders that elders are to do. And the first thing on this list is pray. James chapter 5. If you're sick... If you're sick, you should call the elders and we should come and pray for you. The elders should pray. In Acts chapter 6, the elders were praying when the Spirit spoke to them. A second thing the elders should do is the ministry of the Word, preaching and teaching, preaching the Gospel, teaching the Scriptures and the doctrines of the faith. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, and it extends into chapter 4, the commandment is preach the Word because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Therefore, preach the Word in season, out of season, whatever else you're doing, preach the Word. That is why when we gather together in the ministry of the church, one of the main events is the preaching of the Word. Because what really changes us is the truth of God's grace and goodness in Christ, which is elaborated in the whole Bible. The Bible is a huge document, and every last bit of it is related to Christ and the preaching of the gospel. And so when we teach theology, when it gets complicated and philosophical or when it gets 
simple and practical or when it's whatever it is, when we're preaching the Word, we are building up the body in the true faith. We are encouraging you to trust yourself to Jesus. So this is one of the principal functions of the elders. Now, the other, another thing is we're called to equip the saints to serve. We read about that here in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, he's given some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. And pastors and teachers are like one office in this text. The assumption is pastors are also teachers. There could be teachers that are not also pastors, but pastors are teachers. And this is the duty we read in uh, in First Peter. This is the duty of all elders. And our principal means of equipping you to serve. But we are called upon to equip you to serve in any way that we find necessary. So maybe we equip you to serve by saying, hey, we need this done, can you do it? Or we equip you to serve by saying, we need some people who to do this, and nobody here looks like they could. We need to train some people. That's equipping. The other, another thing that elders are called to do by Scripture is guard. <laughs> Well, that's a shepherding role, isn't it? What do shepherds do? They guard the flock. And in this text of Scripture, you, this is Second Timothy. It's kind of the whole point of Second Timothy. This is especially in the area of sound doctrine, sound teaching. I am supposed to protect you from bad thinking. I don't know if you've noticed this, but the world is jammed full of really bad teaching. Really harmful doctrines. Be yourself. Ugh. Okay, well, I, on a certain level, that's not bad advice, but on another level, Jesus says, let go of yourself. Die. You know, Jesus is often upside down to the world. Have you noticed? But the world is full of really bad ideas, really stupid stuff that will harm anyone that adopts that particular way of thinking. And the elders of the church are commanded to guard the church against bad doctrine. And our main way of doing it <laughs> is not to go out into the world and learn in some detail all the bad doctrine so we can be sure to warn you about this one and that one and that one and that one. Oh my goodness, you would be exhausted on the first day. No, the way we do it is to teach you the truth. And if you know the truth, you can spot a lie every time. 
And the devil is a liar, and the devil is in charge of this world, and the world is full of his lies. That's why you need to come to church every week and hear the gospel, the good news, the truth of the goodness of God in Christ. And you need the Spirit in your heart to work in you to trust that. So we guard the church. The, the Scripture gives the elders the, the duty of overseeing the ministries of the church. It, it literally uses the word rule. The elders rule. Now, this text we read in First Peter s- s- repeats what Jesus said about ruling. And that is here in the church, ruling doesn't look much like ruling. Here in the church, somehow we rule without lording over. That's what Jesus said. You know how the Gentiles are, he said. They're always, the, the guy in charge is always lording it over the guys he's in charge of. Not our way. That's what he said. This is not our way. No lording. Even I, he said, the Lord, came to serve, not to be served. Now, this is quite a trick, I have to say. To figure out how to oversee, organize, administer, direct, without lording. Because us Gentiles understand it the upside-down way. And we tend to think, well, if we're in charge, we got to take charge. we got to lord if anyone's going to follow. Well, Peter says, no, no lording. Jesus said it. No lording. What's the alternative? It's what I call leading service. Exemplary following. Meaning, be an example. Be an example. So if I want you to serve... I should serve. Then when I say, here's a place for you to serve, you follow, I hope. And so we are leading servants. We are not servant leaders. Do you hear the difference? A servant leader serves only to lead. A leading servant leads by serving. Really different. And Peter says it here, be an example. We also, in the, in the Scriptures, the elders are commanded to exercise discipline in the church. That is, to deal with sin among us. Also to administer the the sacraments, to baptize, to serve the Lord's Supper. All those things elders are called to do, and all those things fall into one word, shepherd. 
shepherd. Now, that's how authority is supposed to operate in the church. So I ask you again, how will you know what your part is? How will you know what God has given you to do? Do you have an answer? Uh, Here's what the Scripture says to all of us about how we respond to the servant leadership. I mean the leading servanthood of the elders. You can find this in Hebrews 13. You can find it in 1 Timothy 5. You can find it in that text we just read in 1 Peter chapter 5. It calls on the rest of us to imitate. Oh, (laughs) well, that's what you do with an example. What you do with an example is you imitate it. Imitate. Now, the book of Hebrews is very specific here. It says, imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. That means you see them trusting Christ. You trust Christ like they do. Now, if you trust Christ, you follow Christ. And if Christ has something for you to do, you do it. I mean, if I trust Jesus, I know Jesus loves me better than I love myself. I know Jesus knows the whole situation, and I barely know it at all. And I know that Jesus uh, cares for me and wants the best for me. And so if Jesus has a commandment and I don't follow it, I'm some kind of idiot. That is really foolish. If I prefer my will to his, that is like the dumbest thing I can think of. Because his will is, is certainly wiser than mine. Better for me, better for you, better for everyone, better for the world. And so whatever his commandments, if I, Jesus said it like this, the one who keeps my commandments is the one who loves me. If I love him, that's only because he has loved me so well. And if he's loved me so well, and he, said, and he suggests that I do something, well, that's like a no-brainer, isn't it? Like, obviously, that would be the best thing to do. Now, sometimes he suggests stuff, and you think, Really? Yeah. Think again. You need to notice that whatever he suggests is really smarter, wiser, better, more loving, more beneficial, more of everything good than whatever resistance you have against it. Remember Moses? Moses was full of reasons why God's idea was a dumb idea. Don't be Moses. Well, be Moses if in the end you obey, which he did. So I'm called upon to imitate the faith of elders. I'm called upon, number two, to obey. I'm called upon to submit myself to the elders. I'm called upon to honor the elders. 
And I'm using myself here in the sentence, I am called upon because even though I am an elder, I am called upon to walk in this relationship with the elders. I am standing here today because a group of elders said, we agree that it's a good idea for you to go there. And if they had said, we don't agree that it's a good idea for you to go there, I would not be here. And I was one of them when they agreed. We operate in this church, I think correctly, we operate by consensus among the elders, as I mentioned. And that means as an elder, I am subject to the elders. As your pastor, I work for the elders. They don't work for me. And we, each one of us, work together to exercise this biblical authority in the life of our church. Now, have I answered the question yet, how do you know what your place of service is? Okay, if it's not super clear, I'm going to try to make it as clear and practical as I possibly can. How does the Lord communicate his direction to you for service in the body? And remember, there's only one Lord. How does he communicate his direction to you for service in the body? And I put this on a scale. There's ordinary, everyday things. And then there's like a spectrum from ordinary, everyday things all the way over to crazy, once-in-a-lifetime things. You get the scale? Could the Lord ask you to do something crazy? Well, it's not unprecedented. The Lord asked Gideon to go up against an army of tens of thousands with an army of, I think, 300. And his guys weren't even professional soldiers. At, the one, at, at one point, he had more guys. And the Lord said, you have too many guys. He did not have too many guys. The only standard by which he had too many guys was the Lord's standard. No one else would have said too many guys. Everyone else would have said not enough guys. And the Lord asked Gideon to do something crazy. Because the Lord was going to do something crazy. Something fantastic. Some great demonstration of his own power. And if you had more than those, that many guys, they'd start taking credit for what the Lord was going to do. And he didn't want anyone else getting any credit. Well, could the Lord ask you to do something crazy? Has the Lord ever asked you to do anything crazy? The Lord asked me to quit my job and go to school one time. Seemed crazy. I liked my job, and I hate school.
Has he ever asked you to do anything crazy? How would he do it? How would he do it in a way that would convince you? But you know, most of what the Lord asks you to do is not at all crazy. It's very mundane. It's ordinary. In fact, if we start at the ordinary end of the scale, how, do you, how does the Lord communicate to you what he has in mind for you to do? Simple obedience to the principles and commandments of the Scripture. Duh. Simple obedience to the principles and commandments of the Scripture. Husbands, love your wives. Now, you don't need an elder to tell you, husbands, love your wives. Oh, except sometimes you do. But there's no new information. I'm not giving you something you weren't already told if I tell you to love your wife. Husbands, love your wives. If you think the Holy Spirit has told you to divorce your wife, you're wrong. He did not tell you that. The Scripture says, love your wife as Christ loves the church, which is another way of saying no matter what kind of an impossible person your wife might be, because certainly the church is an impossible group of people. Love your wife like Christ does. Okay, so obey basic biblical principles and commandments. That's already given. It doesn't require any special instructions. Here's another thing you can do. Find something you can do and do it. <laughs> if you came in here and you noticed this was, this, this was over here and it should be over there, Move it. Do you need someone's permission? No. There's plenty of things in this category where, you know, it's just something that needs doing and you're there and you can do it. So do it. You don't have to come to the pastor and say it needs doing. As though I'm supposed to do it. Sorry, did that sound a little angry? You know, there's plenty of stuff in this category. Not everything is in this category. Some things you better ask. But some things are simple. For example, uh, just show up and be friendly. That, you know, that's in category A and B. It's a simple commandment of Scripture. Show up and encourage one another. And you don't need my permission or direction or the elders to have a committee meeting and figure out how to make you more welcoming and friendly or how to get you to show up more often. Oh, except sometimes maybe you do. But you don't need to wait. There's a bunch of stuff like this that you could do. Here's another category. The church needs something done, and we say so. And you could do it, and so you volunteer. Simple, simple, ordinary, every day. Now, we've been saying for I don't know how long 
that we need people to help in our tech team. Since we started saying that, the tech team has gotten smaller, just so you know. We really need people to help in our children's ministry. Really. We have two people. I shouldn't say that. We have a a small number of people who do it all the time. Every week. Every Sunday. They are there and not here. That's not right. I'm just going to tell you, that's not right. We need people to step up and serve in the children's ministry. That means figure out how to teach kids the Bible. Help decide what we're going to teach kids. All that. I can say the same thing about youth ministry. So this is a simple way. The church says, hey, we need people to do this, and you can do that. Are you willing? And when the church says, hey, we need people to do this and you can do it, is that the Lord? Is that the Lord? I'll just leave you with that question. Sometimes the elders might ask you specifically to take a specific role of serving. That's maybe more permanent, maybe like a leading role of some kind. These are the ordinary ways, the ordinary everyday ways the church is supposed to operate according to the Bible. The elders direct the ministry. We need something done. People step up and do it. Now, there are things at the other end of the scale, the extraordinary things, where you might need more than that. Okay, but those are extraordinary things. There's only one Gideon. There's only one Moses. In the whole history of the Bible, there's only been one burning bush incident. One. I don't think the Lord is going to present you with a burning bush. If he does, well, pay attention. Or maybe you could do what Moses did and argue with him. Be yourself. Be honest. But those are the rare occasions. The rare occasions. You know, when the Lord told me to quit my job and go back to school, you know how I decided that was really what the Lord was telling me? Because he didn't speak to me in like a voice I could hear and say, this is Jesus, hello, go to school. Didn't happen that way. You know how I knew that was what he was telling me to do? My pastor and the other pastors of my church, the elders, also said it. That's how I knew just as I said, the, the, the way I knew it was God's direction for me to come here to be the pastor of this church was that the pastor and the elders of that church said so. I, the Lord gave me the idea first. 
they confirmed it. So even in those kind of big career move things, the Lord tends to operate in this very practical way. Very practical way. How do you know what your place of service is? Now, there's some principles I have at the bottom of your outline here. Things that are always true. This is always true. The authority of God cannot contradict itself. This is what I meant when I said if the Spirit of God, if you think the Spirit of God told you to divorce your spouse, well, you're wrong. He didn't tell you that. That wasn't the Spirit of God. I might guess at what spirit it was, but it wasn't Him. Because the Scripture is clear. God doesn't want you to divorce your spouse. God does permit it sometimes. That's the best you can say about it. And it's kind of a limited set of circumstances. The authority of God does not contradict itself. If the elders of this church came to you and said, you should divorce your spouse, you should not believe us. You should not take that as the word of God, as God's direction in your life. It's not. Here's another thing that's always true. You are responsible what you credit to God. If you say this is God's direction, you're responsible for that statement. So you should be careful about saying that. You should just be careful about saying this is God told me. Because you're responsible for whatever you say God told you. And if you say God told me and then you fail to do whatever it is that you were told, then you're really upside down. There's no escaping responsibility for your exercise of wisdom, whatever wisdom God's given to you. We don't escape responsibility for our decisions by blaming God. I'm supposed to be obedient, but I'm also responsible. Otherwise, obedience is kind of a meaningless category. Here's something else that's always true. There is some way God has in mind for you to serve for the building up of the body. That's a fact. There is such a thing. So if you're not already serving... You need to find out what the thing is. The last thing that's always true is God will produce something great with whatever he gives you to do. If you take up your place of service, God will do something amazing using you. He won't always let you see it but he will do it every time. So I want to encourage you. There are many ways to serve. There's only one thing you need to know, and that is, what does God want me to do? That can be big, small, tiny, giant. It could be 
something you do from now on for the rest of your life, or it could be something you do for the next five minutes. But there is something. And God will use you to do big things if you just make yourself available. Father, thank you for your love for us in Christ. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to see the opportunity of serving in your hands, giving ourselves to take on our part for the building up of the body of Christ, for the glory of God in this world, for the proclamation and the exhibition of the good news of your grace. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.